Welcome to the Support Automation Show, a podcast by Capacity. Join us for conversations with leaders in customer or employee support who are using technology to answer questions, automate processes, and build innovative solutions to any business challenge. I'm your host, Justin Schmidt. Good morning, Chris. How are you doing? Good. How are you doing? I'm doing wonderful. Uh, Where does this podcast find you today? It finds me in a small little town on the central coast of California called Templeton. Templeton. I've never been to Templeton. Lived in Long Beach for a few years and San Francisco for a few years. So four-ish total years in California. And I don't think I've ever heard of Templeton. We're close to like Paso Robles or uh, San Luis Obispo. Ah, okay. Yep. I understand. I can I can picture it now. Well, cool. So Chris joins us from American Pacific Mortgage, where he is the director of process and analytics. Um, extensive experience managing people and processes, both offshore and onshore, as an operations manager. And we're going to talk today about um, your journey and how American Pacific Mortgage or APM embraces support automation. Full disclosure that APM is a customer of capacity, but as we've done a couple times on this show now, we're going to really focus on support automation. And in as much as capacity is brought up in that conversation, we will we'll, we'll cover it. But but this show is really for support leaders and how they can embrace automation in their organization. So very excited to talk about Chris with that today. So Chris, how did you get into process and analytics? What brought you to the position you're in now? I started working in support automation about eight years ago um, when at APM. We were trying to find a, a better way to get information out to um, our employees. Uh, we were starting to spread out a little bit more across the, the, the country mm-hmm. um, and trying to live in email. So we started doing some uh, automation using SharePoint and its workflows and forms to uh, strategy notifications, uh, summaries, uh, newsletters, and stuff like that to try and uh, get that information out there. It's kind of very basic, but the workflows in SharePoint allowed us to to take that and and get that out there. Interesting. So you came to it through a information sharing perspective, right? And, and really, that is um, kind of our focus, and it still kind of remains that even with what we do today is. As the company has continued to spread out, uh, when I first started, we had most of our support staff um, or corporate staff in just in Roseville in one building, and people could walk around and ask questions and kind of get their information the old-fashioned way, I like to say. Mm -hmm. Uh, We're now in, the the company's in 49 states. We have employees uh, in all of those states. We have corporate employees in, in like 40 of them. So we lose that ability to just do that back and forth. So information is is power and it allows people to get their jobs done quickly and uh, correctly. And without the ability to just turn and ask somebody, we have to find ways to get them that information in a way that uh, is understandable, is accurate and actionable. Yeah, it's interesting hearing that because at employees in 49 states, APM has been distributed for a while now. So I would imagine that when the world was sort of forced into distributed workforce environment last spring, you guys operationally already had a lot of 
best practices, technology, et cetera, in place to lubricate that information sharing and, and leverage technology to get that that done. Definitely. We, we definitely had an advantage over a lot of other companies and other industries because we were so distributed. Uh, most of that was centered on um, our loan officers and originators and our branches, which were, were spread out across the different states. What this kind of changed was the, uh, the, the corporate staff now was starting to spread out and people started to move different places or even just at home. Mm-hmm. And figuring out ways to um, to take that and and to not just the information, but to uh, to keep that sense of community, that that sense of uh, culture is a huge part of who we are at APM. And how do we maintain that um, in our conversations, in our communications, and even in our automations? And I, I think that that's that's very important. That um, no matter what you do and or, or how you do it, who you are has to kind of shine through that. Um, because that's what kind of keeps the thread together and keeps people able to interact and get their stuff done. Mm-hmm. So when I say the word support automation, this is kind of, this is an interesting question because without my prompt, you kind of said it earlier, but let's explicitly ask, because I'm very interested to hear how you would ex- how you would specifically define this. But when you hear support automation, what does that mean to you? Um, I think of like leveraging automation to help people find the specific information or assistance they're looking for and be able to do that 24 hours a day and allow the support workers to focus on higher levels of work and tasks as opposed to just answering repetitive questions. Yep, exactly. And through the journey at APM, you know, you went from one location to, to people in 49 states, that's a lot of growth. The other thing that everyone needs, you know, I'm, I'm, I'm sure everyone out there listening is is aware of the housing market and how it's boomed in the last 18 months. But one thing I would I would love to, to, to dive into a little bit is maybe sort of what that that mortgage boom has looked like inside of a lender uh, such as APM and some of the opportunities and challenges you guys have had as from scale, like your loan officers, I'm sure all had, have, have all had great years and, and, and it's been a, it's been a fun time for you guys and business is doing really well. Um, but with that kind of growth comes some challenges. I'd, I'd love to hear some uh, examples of specific things that you guys overcame with this recent mortgage industry boom? Well, um, it's interesting. We, we, we kind of have, in terms of our growth, we had a lot of branches. We used to say we were big um, west of the Rockies. And over the last year or two, we've really expanded out. And that does present unique challenges um, in terms of time zone, in terms of uh, just having people be able to answer questions at a time when people are working. So we now have branches in Hawaii and on the East coast and having a corporate structure where it's in a central location, it doesn't always work where we can have somebody all those hours working. And and we, we do as as best we can with the the folks um, in our support desks, but having the ability to, 
have automation be able to answer some of the questions that the folks in those areas, and honestly, even even in the regular hours, we we did a, a rollout and we started looking at stuff and the number of questions we were getting answered at 1 a.m., 2 a.m., when our loan officers were sitting down and had a moment and were trying to work through and, and trying to construct out loans was really an eye-opener for us because we had no way of knowing that before. And now all oh, of a sudden yeah. we can see now all of a sudden we can see these, oh wow, they're actually working all this time and they had a question. We we're able to answer that question and they're able to continue working at that time frame um, when there's really no way you could have 24 hour support to do that. So uh, it really was kind of an eye opener to see, okay, what, what is, what do we need to do? What do we need to provide for them? And when do we need to provide it? Um, so kind of, I guess the way it kind of evolved is the, the philosophy is, is delivering them that information where they're at when they need it. And that really allows, uh, automation really allows that to, to happen. Yeah, fascinating. Chris, when we first started talking about doing this interview, one of the topics you proposed was implementing support automation should be focused on the customer experience. For it truly to be considered a success, customers should want to use it, not have to use it. I absolutely adore that phrase. And if you see that in some of our marketing collateral, um, know that, uh, that, that that comes with a, a, a head nod and a thumbs up in your direction. So I would love it if you could unpack that second part of this. For truly to be considered a success, customers should want to use it, not have to use it. What do you mean by that? Well, it really kind of comes from who we are as a company. And in the, the mortgage space, we are known as a very people-focused uh, group. Um, experiences that matter is something that is is something we espouse and is a, as a major driver on everything we do. And if you look at uh, what you want from an application or a tool, you want people to engage in it. And that's the only way you're going to get, not just them to use it. And you can get force people to use it and say, okay, this is the only way that you can uh, uh, get a ticket, or this is the only place you can get an answer. And they may use it and they may get something out of it, but they're never going to move that tool in a direction that will be, make it wildly successful because you're never going to get feedback. You're never going to uh, have people talking to other people and having them want to use it. It's there's a, a an energy that goes along with something that everybody wants to use. The concept of going viral doesn't have to mean that it's just a video or, but it's a, an application or, or a new process if done correctly and done in a way that people want to use it, it has an energy of its own and it will give you the ability to continue to improve it and continue to drive it because people really want to use it. And if they don't, then you're going to get the minimal amount of engagement and the minimal amount of improvement. If they want to, you're going to have people being raving fans, which is a term we use a lot as of that and, they're going to really drive that to be better and eventually get more and more out of it. Mm -hmm. Yeah, it's inside of the answer you just gave there is something that comes up from time to time on this show. And that is when automation is brought into 
the sort of making air quotes for those of us not on video knowledge work, uh, white collar work would be the sort of old fashioned way to say it. Um, when, when automation is brought into knowledge work, there can be some trepidation on embracing that and accepting those tools and that technology into your work streams. So people could think, oh, you know, the AI is going to take over my job. And one of the important things to remember is, and, and it's not just capacity as a vendor saying this, this is just also true. The best automation doesn't replace people. It augments the people you have and makes them better. And you touched on this earlier when you said, agents get the time to focus on the most important things. But the other side of that is they have to be willing to embrace the technology. So to your point about customers should want to use it, not have to use it, that customer could be the person on your website looking to get information about when a branch is open or what interest rates are currently available or whatever it is. But that's also on the internal side as well. And when it all works, the harmony that's created by customers who aren't bothering agents with simple questions, with agents who aren't being bothered by simple questions, when those interactions do happen, it's a much deeper react or interaction. You get this customer advocacy and this brand, um, for lack of a better word, brand equity that you might not have otherwise gotten because the customer feels like they have to call an agent just to get a simple question answered. And the agent might be, you know, a little short on temper or whatever, because he or she is at just answered the same question for the 150th time that day. So really interesting to hear how you guys have embraced that outside of support. Do you take a similar approach to the other elements of the tech stack? I mean, I know just from my sort of outsider looking in with with the mortgage business, there's a lot of the, the tools, technology, processes, et cetera, that, that are required to get a home loan is are, are pretty extensive. I'm just curious if you in the operational design at APM, if you've if you've taken that approach with some of the other parts of the tech stack as well. Yes. So it's it's and that's a that's a, a great point. Um, I've long looked for and hoped for the, the kind of the concept of a single pane of glass uh, because there are a lot of tools and there are a lot of tools for originating loan. There's a lot of tools for marketing. There's a lot of for tracking for anything. And if you go online and type in mortgage tools or marketing tools, there are just hundreds of them. And they're great. And the, the technology has allowed so many amazing things to be done by an individual, but it also makes it hard to figure out, okay, which one am I supposed to use here? Um, mm -hmm. Okay, Am I supposed to be entering this here or entering that there? Or do I ask this person or that person to, for the help or the guidance for that part of it? And that's, that's, that's that causes a lot of angst. Uh, you end up, calling multiple people or going yeah. to multiple places or updating multiple things. And our goal, and it's, it's still aspirational as we work towards it is to try to bring it to a single place where you just ask the question and how it gets answered and routed. And all of that is not something you, should, you really should care about. You're going to get the right answer from the system or the, the, the bot or a person 
And you're going to be able to do that in, in a way that is just a single trusting place that you can go to yeah. as opposed to trying to figure out all of the rest of it. Um, you know, that's kind of, it's kind of become an industry uh, with, with a hybrid focus on everything going on and being able to do this is really uh, become a, a huge part of the industry. There's, I mean, even Microsoft has released their, their Microsoft Viva, which is actually a customer experience platform, which mm-hmm. is allows you to use APIs and to bring all of the different information to f- different places into one spot. So you just look one place, you can see updates from multiple applications and you don't have to keep bouncing around. Yep. Um, and they're not the only one, but it's just interesting to the, that this kind of concept is is becoming more and more important, honestly, because more tools are coming out. And once again, people are using this platform as a hybrid worker um, to go to and to be able to get all of their stuff in, in one location. Yes, it's especially important, too, in something like mortgage, where one of the most important things for a lender is to get that loan closed sort of as fast as humanly possible, which given all the regulations and all the paperwork and everything that has to happen for a loan to get closed, it's it's a much more arduous journey for you know a mortgage lender to get a mortgage closed and 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 sent off to servicing or whatever than it is for you know best buy to sell a television right like it's a, it's just, it's right. a long hairy process so to be able to bring in that automation even if you can make the whole experience from sort of lead to close 10% faster, that could give you a huge competitive advantage. And um, obviously it can free up your your, your LOs and, and your desks and, and, and the other various people in the firm to then close more loans, right? Um, right? So really, really interesting stuff. When you think about your journey through implementing automation at APM, and if you could think back to when you first started that journey, Knowing what you know now, what's one piece of advice you would give to yourself or to any other leader in a business who's getting started on their automation journey? Ooh, good question. Um, I think the first thing is have a, I would start small. And I, I had a, a boss who was, was very uh, good at this and talking about building something as a example in a key area and then building a desire for people to use it. So, you know, here's what we, here's what we built. It can do other things. And then people going, well, that's great. And then they start asking for more and more and more. And I think that allowing the automation to grow organically like that allows you to, um, once again, goes back to people want to use it. So, and the business wants it to exist and to leverage it because they're asking for it. And so, you know, we start off with, you know, something small for a, a, you know, a certain segment like benefits or something. And it's just, it's very specific to that. Oh, that was great. What else, you know, Oh, you know, you can do this too. It's like, Oh, wow. And then people start asking for it and it grows in, in a way that, you know, you have these, uh, these fans that are built in as you go each, each segment to the point where you kind of get critical mass and it's like, okay, we have to use this for everything. This is great. Um, so that's, that's one of it. And the other part is um, going back to the people part of it. 
it should reflect your company. And mm. um, you know, we have capacity, we use capacity. And part of what we're working on is it should sound and it should feel like part of the company. It should reflect our culture, the way we talk and whenever, and whenever possible. Um, because when the, one of the reasons people don't like dealing with, with bots is it just seems sort of mechanical and it doesn't mm-hmm. seem like they're, uh, they're talking to someone, right? So this, by making it more conversational, by making it more conversational in a way that reflects the way you talk in the company, it, it kind of breaks down that barrier for them. Let's face it. Most people's first example of bot and automation is a f- calling someplace and going through that automated voice and having Press to push one for, yeah, right. Which is, is a horrible experience and it's frustrating. And we learned that early on and it gives us that kind of negative, um, that negative feeling about automation and yep. by making it more conversational, by making it more a reflection of your company, um, it should tell jokes. If it tells jokes, it should tell jokes that would be told in your company. It should have fun remarks at the end. That should those things really do drive adoption and uh, and usage of, of the tool. Right. You don't you don't fear calling the one eight hundred number, knowing you're going to go through fifteen menus of triage. Right. The one other thing I would just sorry. Mm-hmm. The, the yeah, one other thing I would say is know what. So we have basically three uses and, and, and that we can use it for because as a people-centric company, we don't want it ever to just be automation. And that's another fear people have is that it's the bot or nothing else. Uh, and there's things that, that, that automation can do very well. It can, um, it can identify what you're asking and you can get you the right person or just answer a, a simple question. Um, but it also can there are interactions that the bot can't do, but it doesn't mean the bot can't help. Mm-hmm. And I would, as an example for that is um, you want to order a new computer and there are things that somebody would need to ask you in order for that to happen or um, applying for something else. A lot of what happens if you just send emails into a help desk is then they email you back because they don't have the information and then you go back and forth and it's a long process that uh, that doesn't really give any satisfaction or takes it takes too much time to go through. Mm-hmm. If you have the bot asking those questions and then providing those answers in a ticket or an email or however you want to use it to those desks or to the people that help, they can just answer the question, right? There's no back and forth. So I have streamlined something um, even though a person is needed in it by getting them the information they need to finish it, which benefits both. You mm-hmm. don't need to spend as much time on the support side with the person. And th- that person, by taking 30 seconds to answer those questions, has eliminated the emails back and forth, which is never instantaneous. Right, right. Again, getting back to that speed to speed to happy customer, speed to satisfied uh, team member comment we were making earlier when you think about the future of support automation what excites you the most um i I think it you know always goes back for me it goes back to uh how natural and and how conversational it can it can make things and today we are limited somewhat on 
what machine learning and natural language processing can do. Mm-hmm. It's gotten, it, it gets infinitely better every year, but there's still, um, so, you know, it's not, you know, able to identify everything in every sentence of, of what is, is going on the point, but it, you can see the point coming where somebody can ask kind of a vague question, but it recognizes enough of the question that it can ask a clarifying question and continue the process along as if I were talking to you. Um, and at that point, it becomes powerful enough that really the, the low level, level one, level zero tech is all, can almost all be handled by that. It would just, now it just becomes, um, it just becomes something that is, is necessary uh, to have higher level stuff going on where people actually have to get engaged and type in stuff or order stuff. And so I, I see that coming and I think it's going to be fantastic. And I also see all of this stuff being able to be presented in, in a way that people just kind of go in there and are able to say, okay, what's going on today? And it's able to look at multiple systems and multiple APIs. And here, here are all the things you need to do across anything that you work in. And um, here are updates for all of them. And you just work yeah. um, as opposed to, okay, now I got to go to Outlook and now I've got to go to our LS and now I've got to go over here to my CRM. Yep. And all it just interacts together and the automation and the APIs are able to pull that stuff together and we'll get back and forth. Eventually we're going to do our work the same way Tony Stark did with Jarvis when he's in his Iron Man suit and Jarvis could just sort of take care of everything and, and he could save he could focus on saving the world. So this has been a great conversation. Um, I think there's some really good takeaways for people. Chief among them for me is to implement automation in such a way that the experience is delightful enough that your customers are going to want to use it and your team members are going to want to use it. And when you do that and you drive that adoption, you drive that usage, you start uncovering pretty good and meaningful business optimizations, such as seeing LOs cranking through things after hours and, and, and specifically the types of questions that they would, you know, normally have to wait till the next business day to answer. And in a time of, you know, sort of once every now and then growth and opportunity, like what we've seen in housing the past 18 months, it's, uh, that's extremely valuable. So I would love it if we could end with a quick fire round here. And let's start with what is the book that you most often recommend to people? It's uh, a, a more beautiful question. Uh, it, it's actually the full title. So a more beautiful question, the power of inquiry to spark breakthrough ideas. And it's, it's a fascinating book. Uh, I'm very much, you know, an innovative person. And the kind of the concept of it is, is we stop asking questions because it's kind of forced out of us as kids you know, the teacher starts getting irritated if you keep raising your hand too much and asking mm. questions. And we, we certainly learn at some point, it's better off just to stop asking questions. And the problem with that is if you don't ask questions, you, you can't really innovate or move forward. And the other part that it really kind of talks about is uh, people put, uh, when they're asking questions, they put their own uh, blocks in there. So mm. it, it would say, uh, we can do this, but... And then they stop thinking about the rest of their answer because, well, we don't have the money for that, or we don't have the time to do that. And the problem is, is when you put those blocks in place, there's an an idea along that path somewhere that you don't get to 
uh, that you would have if you just got past it. You may not be able to do 10 of them, but the 11th is a great idea that you were able to get you because you kind of suspended belief long enough that mm -hmm. everything's possible. Oh, we can do that. Well, that's awesome. And, and that's uh, something that I find in, in process improvement and innovative work, people kind of do that. It's just kind of a natural way we operate is, well, I know that's not going to work, so I'm going to stop thinking along those lines. Yeah, that's really fascinating. I'm going to have to add that to my uh, Goodreads list. The focus of what we're doing here on this show and capacity in general and just for me as 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 a knowledge worker in, in, in the year 2021 is really trying to be more productive, trying to be more sacred with the time I have and being more effective with that time. So one of the things that we do here every year is we have this big productivity hacks blog post slash webinar that I do. And one of my sources for finding new hacks is to ask the guests on this show. So what's the best productivity hack or tip or trick, however you want to describe it, that you've ever used? Um, essentially I hack my schedule whenever possible. So okay. especially as we spread out and, and kind of move out, we, we lose our time and people just want to schedule meetings to talk and to interact. And so I go proactively before each week and, and lock out segments of my, of my calendar to make sure I have time to get stuff done. Cause we've all ended up in a situation where you've worked eight hours, you worked nine hours, you've been on meetings for eight of those hours like I actually didn't move anything forward on my list because I've been meetings all day. So that's part of it. And, and then the other thing you find out is uh, people that were scheduling meetings, if you block out your time and they realize they don't have that, they send that email that could have been an email all along, but they just wanted to schedule a meeting. So there's kind of this, this uh, impact on it because you get, you get meetings instead of them being scheduled farther along, you just kind of eliminate them. And the other one in terms of blocking out is if I'm leading a meeting um, or, or driving it or giving a presentation, I block out the 15 minutes before that. So I have time to make sure I've got everything lined up and everything in place as opposed to just trying to jump from one meeting to something I'm leading because it just never goes well. Then you end up wasting everybody's time in, in, at the beginning of that because you're trying to get everything organized. So I've implemented that. Actually, have a thing at Outlook where you can set that up where it's just before every meeting, it puts 10 minutes, 15 minutes. Yep, that's great stuff. Good reminder, too, that Outlook or Gmail or, or what you've, whether you're a Microsoft company or a Google company, both those suites have a lot of those types of features buried in the settings of the calendar functions. And I highly recommend everybody open up the, the deepest menus of the settings of those apps because you're going to find some really great stuff. If you could yeah. recommend one website, blog, Slack community, LinkedIn group, Discord room, subreddit, pick your pick your uh, community platform of choice. But if you could recommend one community to support leaders, what would it be? Actually, not really at this point. We really had one specific place. I've, I'm kind of all over the place. You actually use YouTube videos as well. Mm. I follow certain people on YouTube, but listening to the, to the, the podcast, I, I, Jeff uh, was on there and, and had his, the game grow retain, which yep. I actually joined up. That's, that's great. Uh, yeah, it's really good. I'm, I'm using, I've been using that 
kind of extensively the last week or so, just reading through and looking at stuff. Yeah, that that conversation with Jeff was 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 really powerful. He's he, he's a good dude, and Gangro Retain is is one of the leaders in the space. Support Driven is another good one that that comes up from time to time. So finally, to close us out, if you could take one person in the world of support or operations out for coffee or a cocktail, depending on the time of day and, and the vibe, uh, who would it be? Well, I, I can't technically take him out because he's unfortunately passed, but it would be Steve Jobs. And mm. I, I say that for a couple of reasons. Uh, first, I believe the approach to support starts at the top. So having the person who founded the company, the CEO, how they look at it is, is a, an interesting view of why the support exists inside the company. The, obviously, the people underneath have uh, impacts, but I've always believed that the leader sets the tone for how things are done. Um, the other part is Apple is very customer focused in their design. And that's something else that I'm very big on where everything that you, they build is, is along those lines. If you pick up an iPhone, you don't have to need instructions for how to use it for the most part. It's, it's right. set up where you can just use it, which is awesome. And then um, actually the biggest reason is uh, his story where he founded Apple and he was, they were successful and he actually got fired from his own company because of who he was in a lot of ways. And he actually learned from that. And when he came back, he was a different leader and a different manager and looked at service and support a different way. And I always find it fascinating that people that are able to not just keep failing and, but are actually able to learn from the mistakes and their failures and then implement and make changes and be successful. That's a really good point that oftentimes it's easy to lose sight of. And that is how much influence the top down culture setting from people like the CEO matters. And most successful businesses understand the value of the customer, but there are certain ones that really obsess over it. Amazon's another example that. I think we should all just sort of remember. So that's a that's a that's a good one. I haven't heard any of the big luminaries yet on this show, so it was it was it was fun for me to 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 hear one of those, you know, pantheon Mount Rushmore type uh, business right. leaders being mentioned. Thank you, Chris, so much for your time. This was a great conversation. If people want to connect with you or American Pacific Mortgage further, where did you recommend they go? Um, to find me, I'm on LinkedIn, uh, Christopher Rotz. Um, and uh, if they wanted to talk to the company or are more interested in who we are, um, you can go to apmortgage.com. And we've got all the information on the site, um, including uh, soon our uh, capacity scrappy bot. Love it. Well, once again, thank you for the conversation. And I hope you have a wonderful day. You too. Thank you. Cheers. The Support Automation Show is brought to you by Capacity. Visit capacity.com to find everything you need for automating support and business processes in one powerful platform. You can find this show by searching for support automation in your favorite podcast app. Please subscribe so you don't miss any future episodes. On behalf of the team here at Capacity, thanks for listening.